lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show. We are live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. His name is Todd Erzin. His name is Aaron McIntyre. We have a fourth member here with us for the first hour, and his name is comedian Tim Young. He'll be joining us here for the Dace Group Roundtable. In just a moment, let us know what you think, though, about what we think. And it is a feedback Friday, so we'll be getting to some of your feedback coming up in the next hour of the show. Feedback that you can still email to us at steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. You can also look for us on Facebook, uh, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Just look for my name there. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you're looking for the uncensored, unfiltered clips for free that you can sample on this show and then hopefully share with others, uh, subscribe to our Rumble channel at rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. That's rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. Uh, more and more stories coming out as we speak about parents fighting back against the curriculum going on in their schools. And, and I'm I'm just joyous to see it. it. It's years and years overdue, but we can't undo what we didn't do before, right? But we can do something about it right now. Now, you may end up finding out, though, that eventually that the numbers just aren't there or the stronghold you're up against in that school district is just too difficult. But what do you do with your kid? I, I don't want to subject them to this now that I'm fully aware of what is going on. I don't want to subject my child to this. If we can't be heard, if there's not enough parents out there like me, are there options? Well, the answer, thankfully, is yes. And it's my friends over at Freedom Project Academy. I can't give them a better endorsement other than I know Dr. Duke Pesta personally, who helped to found this school and and oversee it now. Uh, I've seen personally firsthand what it did with my own son. Noah was involved and enrolled in FPA for a couple of years too. So I can't give a better endorsement other than I know the guy I hope found the school and I let him teach my own kid. All right. If you want to find out what it looks like when your kid is taught uh, on a classical curriculum based on Judeo-Christian values, uh, not uh, leftist propaganda, mastery of subject matter, critical thinking, you know, the way that the founding fathers and the generations that made this an exceptional country, the way they were taught. If you want to know what that looks like when that comes into your home, uh, get a free packet today at freedomforschool.com. Again, that is freedomforschool.com. And now it is time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was begins as it always does with bleep, Lord Nefarious says. Is there a target for herd immunity for COVID vaccines? Uh, is it 75%, 80%? What is that goal for the administration right now? Well, Dr. Fauci has addressed this a number of times and has conveyed that herd immunity is kind of an outdated term. You've got to ask, what is the problem? Get over it. Get over this political statement. Just get over it and try and save the lives of yourself and your family. One, uh, targeted community by community door-to-door outreach to get remaining Americans vaccinated. Now we need to go to community by community, neighborhood by neighborhood, and oft times door-to-door, literally knocking on doors. But our work doesn't stop there, and we are going to continue to press to get 12 to 18-year-olds vaccinated. We know how to deal with an epidemic. 
What we want to say is, we want to do with gun violence what we just did with COVID. Are you proud to be an American? No, I'm not really in this climate. No, like, I'm a black person. You know, there's like oppression that comes with that. I think most of the time, no, at least over like the past four years. Um, not most of the time. I think sometimes it's just a little embarrassing. Uh, no. <laughs> and what is there to be proud about if you're black and being like, you know, because it's just like, it's a, still a lot of stuff that goes on for black people. We're coming for them. men saying to me well I like I like men I think that trans men are handsome but I could never ever sleep with one of them well thank you for telling everyone you're very boring also you're like this is just transphobia like I don't think any of you know what that word means we wanted to ask can you be transracial and how is that different from being transgender there is this white british man who recently got facial surgery to look more asian because he identifies as being korean we wanted to ask people is he korean now he is not biologically korean i don't think that changes anything about him necessarily i don't think that's an identity you can't identify as an ethnicity okay so you can't be transracial well Perhaps you can, but that's not how I think about it. Okay. Yeah. Can you be transgender? Yes. What's the difference? Probably no difference. If it's about what you identify as, can't you identify as whatever you want to identify with? No. You can't be transracial because that's cultural appropriation. What about what they've done to Jack Ma? He's kind of disappeared as... Well, yes, but Jack Ma's one of the swingers. So they just cut his... They said, the hell with you. He basically got, gave speech when he said to a, to a one-party state, well, you guys are a bunch of jerks don't know what you're doing, and I know what I'm doing, and I'm going to do it better. And he was going to wade into banking and no rules and just do whatever he pleased. He also but brought Chinese, a, a lot of The Chinese communists people. did the right thing. They just called in Jack Ma and said, you aren't going to do it, Sonny. And, and uh, I wish we had a... I don't want the, all of the Chinese system, but I certainly would like to have the financial part of it in my own country. That's uh, one of Warren Buffett's chief business partners sitting with him there, openly saying, I wish we were more like China. So let's get to it. What was the best of the worst this week? And as the guest, per tradition around here, Mr. Tim Young, you get to go first. Go ahead. Dude, what a loaded week eclipse that was. I mean, I, I don't even know where to start, where to pick. But honestly, my favorite of the whole thing was the uh, the trans person saying that you're transphobic if you don't have sex with him or her or whatever they identify as. Because I always wanted a complex excuse for why women don't sleep with me. And that person <laughs> gave it to me. It's hate speech. If women don't sleep with me, it's hate speech, Steve. And I'm here to say that today. I'm taking a stand. I've got a list. Scarlett Johansson, uh, Nicole Kidman. Um, oh, um, who's the one I really like that would read me the phone book? The British gal that's in a quiet place. What's her name? I forget her name. Okay. Emily Blunt. What's that? Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I would just preemptively right now anticipating the answer would be no. 
Um, I just want to preemptively uh, call each of them transphobic. Is that our, is that the new play, right? You just say this to every chick at a bar, every chick online. Uh, if we, if you won't hook up with me, that's just an evidence. The fact that you're transphobic or Tim phobic, you're just, it couldn't be I'm repulsive. <laughs> it's just, there must be something wrong with you. Correct. Listen, if there are 20 year olds, like another one of the clips that you had there, 20 year old black women walking around Georgetown that just went shopping in some, in one of the most expensive places in, in the world, basically saying that they're suppressed or oppressed or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can convince them that they're transphobic if they don't sleep with you. Well said Todd. You're going to have to let me drink on this show. It's it's coming to that. I need to take the edge off. <laughs> well, it's not it's not on the rundown today, but Patriot Wine is one there of our sponsors. Go. Might just have to have a bottle standing by, right? I was lit from the beginning, so let me just go there. It could have been any number of things. But let me remind you that before we had ever heard of this thing called uh, COVID, uh, I've, I'm the anti-vaxxer uh, on the show. And I know I've said before... Uh, out loud to all of you that the number one defense just two years ago of the vaccine crowd or the number one lament the number one accusation against me is that i didn't believe in herd immunity that was two years ago Mm -hmm. and now it's an outdated term i was an animal i wanted to kill everybody they went in, a doctor actually told me, I don't think you'd, I'd, his kids are vaccinated. I don't think I'd let you sit next to my kids. I said, but doctor, your kids are vaccinated. Herd immunity. Now, now it's outdated. That happened pretty fast, folks. Uh, and if you keep buying nonsense like that, and again, the CDC coming out today saying kids unvaccinated still need to wear masks. There, there is, we're just making stuff up now in the name of science. We're dealing at a cult within the realm of science that is every bit as robust as what you saw from the gay men's chorus. And if you don't think so, <laughs> you're a damn fool. It's the same end result. It's yes. the center to deceive and control. Yes. This is just about control. The same thing that was sung in that gay men's chorus song, which is literally, they're, they're claiming even more to so today now, this was a joke and a troll. But again, as I said yesterday, go get the book. It's, it's out of print. It cost hundreds of dollars. But there was a famous book in the late 80s written called After the Ball. It is the Mein Kampf of the rainbow jihad it lays out their entire plan for conquistadoring that's what it is for cultural conquistadoring and it's right and their lyrics are right out of this book if you've read it if you've read it okay which i did when i first started doing this for a living and so one of the things you'll find fascinating is all these various strains have the same end game in mind power and control power and control that's really what it's all about and that's that's what this that's what CDC's guidelines are about. There's they they cite no science whatsoever. I, I can come up with a reason why. Could you come up with a reason why they can't cite any science on this masking? There's no science because there isn't any science on the masking. That's that's why they don't have any. It doesn't exist. In fact, as I pointed out this morning on Twitter, yesterday Japan declared a state of emergency. The Tokyo Olympics will now be going will now be going on without any spectators. This is a country wired, the New York Times, Washington Post, that controlled opposition over at National Review. Should I go on? The Philadelphia Inquirer. I could have put a lot more media outlets, by the way. Dozens of me all kinds of media outlets globally told us for the last year and a half Japan had conquered COVID with masks. And yet here we are a far more obese country 
They're the least obese country in all of the, the industrialized world. We're a far more obese country. Yesterday, we had 260 total deaths. So that's another lie. When you keep being told, well, 90% of the people dying now are dying without being vaccinated. Now, I'll take into account that that number is true. I'm sure it's a lie because they lie about everything else. But I'll just, I'll even grant the point to make mine. I'll grant theirs. What is a bigger risk for you? If 200 some people are now, we haven't had, we haven't been over a thousand deaths in a day in this country since April the 15th. Three months almost. What is a bigger risk for you right now? Unless you're in an extreme health profile, what is the bigger risk for you? Looking at a ratio of about 250 deaths a day is what we're doing right now. Dying of COVID or with COVID, because we still haven't changed those guidelines yet either, right? Dying with COVID when we're averaging 200 some odd deaths per day. Dying with COVID in a nation of 330 million people with that death ratio. Dude, that's called a weekend in Chicago walking down the street. All right. 200 some odd deaths per day. This is what they don't tell you. Let's just say it is 90 some odd percent. 200 some odd deaths per day with out of 330 million people or the adverse effects of these untested, unproven therapeutics that aren't even vaccines. Which is the higher risk? I don't think it's even questionable unless you're an extreme health profile, autoimmune, morbidly obese and over 70. If you're not in those profiles, there's no questions. It's the vaccines. But they don't ever tell you that. They don't ever provide that context because they lie. Like they've lied about all of this from the very beginning. They're lying now. They were lying then. They're lying now. We knew they were lying then. We know they're lying now. And yet they keep lying anyway. Aaron. I've got to go with that comment from Jen Psaki. Well, you know, uh, herd immunity, it's an outdated term. I know this is Todd's favorite of the week as well. Yeah, the, the only real... Um, I, I don't know how to call them. The only real terms I, I think that matters to people like Dr. Anthony Fauci and others is ter- are terms like uh, PFE and mRNA, which are the uh, New York Stock Exchange codes for Pfizer and Moderna at this point. I, I think that's the only and the only immunity that really matters to those types of people is the ones uh, bestowed upon vaccine manufacturers in 1986 with the Childhood Vaccine Injury Act or whatever that was called. This is thoroughly and utterly ridiculous for all the reasons that Todd just that Todd just articulated because herd immunity, that's how naturally now now vaccines have helped in some instances, but naturally that's how human beings, that's how our uh, immune systems were designed to be able to fight off these viruses for eons, for millennia. And now all of a sudden, uh, it's an outdated term. It's like so many other things in the montage. So many other things that we talk about. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, a man can be a woman. All of a sudden, um, uh, the definition of marriage is changed. It's like it's like there's a pattern here of smashing stained glass windows mm-hmm. on everything. Mm-hmm. It's the same pattern on everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're not wake, uh, uh, woke, if I might say that, if you're not woke to that fact yet, uh, you're living in a different reality. Well said, brother. Exit question on a scale of one to ten, with one being as weak and useless as Lindsey Graham's verified Tinder account, and ten being as robust and vibrant as Lindsey Graham's burner grinder account. Rate this week's level of total depravity, Todd. Ten. Tim. Ten. Aaron. Ten. Yeah, it's a strong ten. Strong ten. Let's continue on the total depravity beat, shall we? Let's go to issue two. The data shows Democrats are quite literally 
possessed by the spirit of the age. In the day-to-day -day milieu of transgenderism, fake science, and everything is racist, it can be easy to lose sight of just where the culture was, is, and where it's heading. Perhaps nowhere has this been more succinctly illustrated than this graphic from the Pew Research Center, which shows the median political attitudes of the two major parties on hot-button cultural issues on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being consistently liberal and 10 being consistently conservative. Pew found in 1994 the Democrat Party was at a 5, right down the middle, while the Republican Party was at a 6, leaning slightly to the right. 23 years later, in 2017, Pew found the Democrat Party at a 2, 30% more liberal, while the Republican Party is at about a 6.5, about 5% more conservative. Pew found in roughly the middle of this time span, 2004, the Republican Party was slightly more liberal than it was in 1994, while the Democrat Party was significantly more liberal by about 10%. As political blogger Kevin Drum summed up this week, if you hate the culture wars, blame liberals. Todd, I'll begin with you. What's the driving force here that has, in the last two decades, driven the Democrat Party so far to the left, which is quantified, the data is quantified by this research, but what's the cause? What's the catalyst here? It's, it's godlessness. And the, all of the parts of the Old Testament that were perhaps the hardest to understand in this relative land of milk and honey called America that we uh, live in, you, you couldn't, you couldn't, how is it so decadent that the only choice is destruction? I, I get it now. I say that without apology, speaking only for myself. Uh, the, the, the wanton, wanted tyranny that is called freedom. That's where we're living in right now. To utterly control the lives of all others so that I can feel okay with whatever I feel. Uh, that's where we live now. And in Old Testament times, that was a yo moment for people. We don't have that yo moment right now. We have utterly cast God aside. We've been doing it for a long time, far more within our churches even, turning them into something other than a church. So, I, listen, we, we can't mess around with this. This is flat-out Old Testament stuff. So if it's flat-out Old Testament stuff, then in those days, Israel had no king, so everyone was wise in their own eyes. Yes. Everyone did what, was, what he or she saw fit, right? Yes. That goes to what Aaron was saying last segment. Uh, yet outdated terms, chromosomes, uh, data, truth, yes. constitution, laws— legalities, citizen, border, crime. Uh, these things are all, you know, out, herd immunity. These things are all outdated terms now. Yes. Breathing. And, Breathing's an outdated term now. And by the way, the understanding of those terms were not just built in a moment in time. They were, we stood on the shoulder of giants, eons after eon, gen after day, building that. Right. And now we're just like, no, we're, we're the people we've been waiting for. That's what's fascinating about the fact that we just had Independence Day weekend. Yes. Commemorating the ratification of the Declaration of Independence. And what does Thomas Jefferson do? One of, considered for his period, one of the more, shall we call him, progressive members yes. of, his, of, of, that, of those founding fathers. And yet, in order to chart the course for the future, where does he go? The past. The past. These are self-evident truths. We've, they've been observed throughout history. And ultimately, we have no chances of success unless God blesses the effort. I mean, there are numerous references in order for why they're staking their claim on their freedom to historical and philosophical and scriptural precedent.
right? Yes. He goes to the past, things that are verifiable, that have been shown to be true in order to chart the course for the future. We are now today in our culture, uh, the spirit of the age says we can only achieve the future you want by scrubbing and eliminating everything from the past. And so here we are. Yes, we are. Yeah. Aaron. Yeah, I that, that was a tour de force right there in about two minutes, uh, Steve. Um, what explains this? I think if you're looking for an event or maybe it's a lack of event, it would be the... Um, maybe three or four weeks after 9-11. Because I remember, even I remember, I was eight years old when that happened. Even I remember in small town Iowa, uh, the the churches or the church was a little bit, uh, the, the, the size was a little bit swollen. Uh, it was it was built up over a few weeks. And then it just kind of went back to normal. And I think that trend, we've talked about it, it, it seemed like everybody was unified. Everybody... <laughs> Kind of was was that was maybe the last time the United States was about as unified as it could get or as unified as a country can get. Because I think in a lot of ways that was a wake up call to um, to us, to this generation and and the next generation of of the world that they're living in and kind of the not I don't want to say fantasy land, but the extremely blessed nature of where we are and how we got there. And what this is about. And I think that was forgotten all too soon. And then, of course, we embarked upon 20 years of endless war in the Middle East, which hopefully for the ninth time is coming to an end, at least in Afghanistan. So if you want to look at a cause, if we're going to look at it this through a, a spiritual lens, which I think we should, if you want to look at a cause, I would say maybe the, the sweeping under the rug of something like a 9-11. You know, there were positive aspects to that, especially in light of COVID, where, you know what, we got back to living life as we as we would. We got back to living and doing the things that made life worth living. But at the same time, at a metaphysical level, at a transcendent level, I don't really, I think it was going back to the normal that, uh, mm. that was not going to, to work out in the long run. And I think that's probably the cause. So, Tim, I, I think we're probably about 10 minutes away from Bill Maher uh, and Dave Rubin hosting a show together. Okay, I mean, I mean, this is now, it's, it, they've gone so nuts that the atheist uh, lefty on HBO is now getting, uh, he's, he's Gran Torino guy on MSNBC now for daring to have even, a, to, to claim even still a modicum of some common sense about how the world actually operates and not just magically uh, project your thinking upon it. What's happened here in the last couple of generations where, where one major political party in America has decided to become an open vehicle for undoing the first things that define any form of a civilized society. So first of all, I, I said this the last time I come on. I really love how deep this gets. I'm a comic. It's tough for me to deal with. You guys are getting into the biblical <laughs> stuff. It's scary. Uh, look, it's the internet. It's the internet and it's idiots. It, this started in 1994. If you take a look at that first chart, the internet was not around. And I, I studied internet law. It was one of the courses I took in law school. I'm smarter than I look. Uh, there was a, my, my professor in internet law said, look, the thing that the internet does is it brings all the creeps together. They can find the other creeps mm. and they can gather and they realize they're not alone. So if you collect severed baby doll heads, you can find a, a, a club that collects se severed baby doll heads. That's what's happened between 1994 and now. Hmm. 
Well, on top of that, you add in social media. So all the freaks have gotten together and they're very loud and they've been empowered by the internet and social media and they get their likes and whatever else. And the Democrats are so stupid that they've listened to them and they've started to, they've gotten into that same echo chamber because these people identified as liberal. So they've taken the Democratic Party that was more in the middle and pushed it over to the side. And those people are getting more and more clout in Hollywood and everything else. If it wasn't for the internet, if it wasn't for social media and rewarding the freakiest people for being victims, we wouldn't be here. Tim, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? 40. 40. So 40. you, me, and Todd are all in the same generation then, all right? Mm-hmm. You guys then you guys will remember when Bill Clinton sister soldiered Jesse Jackson. You guys remember that? Okay. Mm-hmm. And he had Bill Clinton had, had uh, run what was called the Democrat Leadership Council in the mid to late 1980s. The party had gone too far left post out of coming out of the 60s and the counterculture, which was ironic coming from the guy that actually dodged the draft and once gave a speech, I believe, in Moscow. Okay. But, uh, but hey, it, it was Bill Clinton and you did get in the way of his ambitions. So he, he goes from protest culture. All right. To I'm now going to run the DLC and try to bring the Democratic Party back to sanity. Uh, And that's where Al Gore, who was the last official major, I believe, pro-life Democrat presidential candidate in 1984. He was pro-life back then. That's why he put him on the ticket was to send a signal right away. Hey, we're two Southern guys. This ain't, you know, the Michael Dukakis party anymore. The last time a major pro-life speaker was invited uh, at a Democratic convention was that year by Bill Clinton's invite. He invited Bill Casey, the Democrat governor of Pennsylvania, who uh, was the last time we had a substantive challenge to Roe v. Wade at the U.S. Supreme Court was his law, okay? And and so we get into the mid-1994, Aaron, you point that era out. Yep. This is now we're going to go into the contract with America. Bill Clinton, after getting his rear end kicked, opens his State of the Union speech in 1995 with the era of big government is over. He wins the, after he wins the nomination in 1992, he invites Sister Soldier from Public Enemy, the rap group, uh, and and uh, to do a speaking engagement. And then he just throws her and Jesse Jackson completely under the race baiting bus and says, we don't do that as a party here anymore. I mean, all these things, he signed the Defense of Marriage Act, he signed the Welfare Reform Bill, the Three Strikes and You're Out law, the Crime Bill. Hell, we got Republicans like Trump now calling the Crime Bill racist, and Bill Clinton was signing that into law. I mean, this was... Go back and listen to the stuff Rush Limbaugh, if you could find the archives, was railing against with the Democratic Party in 93, 94, 95, 96, when the three of us were all cutting our teeth on politics and all listening to Rush every single day. And we're like, wow, these people are nuts, right? And then compare it to where we are now, guys. It's like trans, to use that term, transdimensional. This is an incredible turn of events. Any quick thoughts on that before the, the exit question? Well, I think that is uh, because, and you're inspired by what Tim had to say. I absolutely agree. I do think it's fundamentally godlessness. But then, what variables? But I think what enter Tim has talked play, about where that where that godlessness is exactly. concentrated yes. itself. That's where yes. it's. That was what, the internet was the release, the kraken of that. Yeah, godlessness. that's the yeah. release. That's the pressure valve. Yes, I think Tim has put a physical manifestation on the metaphysical points you were making. Yep. That this has brought all this stuff now mainstream. And it's a similar point to what David Bowie, of all people, made back in yeah, 1999, yeah. Yeah. if you yeah. remember so that. So could, could Bill Clinton today, Sister Soldier, Sister Soldier, oh, when no. she showed up with two and a half million Twitter followers and a million and a half on her Instagram, and she, and, and she was going to be on Joy Reid right afterwards, he calling him a racist. Sister Soldier. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. This is basically the end of the latest uh, Wonder Woman movie. Remember the, 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 the Lord guy? Yeah. He needed the venue to... 
so every individual he wouldn't have to touch and then he found the space age satellite that's what the internet did that's what tim is talking about it unleashed hell it it brought the red light district intellectually and morally yeah. and philosophically into the mainstream yes. of america yeah all right let's get to the exit question true or false the modern democrat party has ironically proven White people really are responsible for what is wrong with much of America since it's the affluent white spirit of the age progressives in its own party that have actually originated virtually every bad idea that is infecting America today. True. Tim. True. Absolutely. Aaron. Undeniably. One, we're got only a minute here. We could do like a whole show on this question, but I've at least got to throw it out there and then it can be pondered and people can think about it, you know, during the break or after we get off the air within the audience. If everything we, if all the dots we just connected are accurate, and I think if they're not fully accurate, they're at least on the map somewhere, okay? Could you apply in a natural sense enough political pressure on them then to move them back into the mainstream? Is that possible? If, if, yes. if, if you, you think it's possible, Tim, you do. Yes, absolutely. The thing is, and I keep screaming this, there is at least 80 million Trump supporters out there. There are 80 million of us out there. We just have to work together. What do you think, Todd? I increasingly doubt things that Tim just said, although I want to believe them. I just, I think the horse has left the barn on some level. I kind of tend to think we can't, but I'd at least want to test Tim's theory oh, first. Oh, yes, first. Because we've never really tried it. Okay, but I'd like to at least test it first before I just, you know, say, oh boy, you know, I know, abandon hope, all ye who enter. I know. We'll come back more of the roundtable here in a moment. You know, internet service providers, Comcast, Verizon. Uh, Etc. They know every single website that you visit. Um, ISPs can then sell this information to ad companies and tech giants when they, uh, who then use your data to target you. In the past, when I had my own website before I hooked up here with Blaze Media, I'd get emails from guys who are like, "Hey man, what's with like all the porn ads on your site?" I'm like, "Dude, it's not porn ads. Those are Google ads, and they are, um, they go with your viewing habits." Uh, in order to run ads they think you'll be the most attracted to. Uh-oh. Yeah. That's like Carl Lewis trying to sing the national anthem, right, Todd? Yes, it is. Uh-oh. Okay. So um, if you want to keep your your private information private, you need to take, take a look at a VPN and the best out there. And it's the one that I use is ExpressVPN, uh, rated number one by CNET, Wired, The Verge, and more. It works on phones, laptops, even your routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can also be protected. It's easy to hook up. I've got it on my, P my laptop here, on my phone here, on the set as well. Uh, it's an install with a click and you are good to go. You can secure your online activity now by visiting ExpressVPN, V as in victory, expressvpn.com slash Steve today. And you can get three extra months when you sign up, three free months when you sign up with their one-year package. When you go to expressvpn.com slash Steve, again, that's expressvpn.com slash Steve. Let's continue on with our weekly look at the week that was here on the Dace Group. We're joined this week by our colleague here at Blaze Media, comedian Tim Young. Let's get to issue three, the UFO report. 
Here is another UFO bulletin. Near the end of June, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence finally released its much-ballyhooed report on UFOs, or the government-termed unidentified aerial phenomenon. The report was a whopping nine pages long and indicated the government is aware of 144 reports of UAPs from government sources, with 80 of those reports involving observation with multiple sensors, meaning radar, visual contact, etc., the report also states that some of the sightings of UAPs demonstrate advanced technology. Quote, some UAP appeared to remain stationary in winds aloft, move against the wind, maneuver abruptly, or move at considerable speed without discernible means of propulsion. In small number of cases, military aircraft system processed radio frequency energy associated with UAP sightings. The report says the sightings likely fall into one of five categories, airborne clutter, natural phenomena, government or industrial development programs, foreign adversaries, or other. Now, the report and the people that have been responsible for it have been pretty adamant they don't believe it's foreign adversary technology. Um, what I also find... So, for, for those... And I will admit, after having read it, when I read it myself and being kind of underwhelmed, and then I went online and watched like three clips of Tucker Carlson talking about it at different times on his show since it came out, because him and I usually share a brain. It's just his his share of, of that share is bigger. Um, I, I was surprised at how much more he thought it revealed than I did. I, I actually thought it was a letdown when I read it myself. He actually seemed to think that it was... Um, much more of a table setter than I did. But what I also find interesting, though, is I didn't think it was a very compelling case for more funding because it also says they think that's the least likely thing, is that this is foreign adversary technology. If it, I mean, if it was if this was about funding, you'd think they would be pumping that angle up all the more. Uh, I also um, found it interesting that given all the hype for this report heading into it, there's been almost no hype now in the two weeks since it came out. So, Aaron, we'll start with you. If you had to pick a word or a phrase that best describes your reaction to this nine-page, much ballyhooed, as you pointed out, UFO report released by the Pentagon recently, what would it be? Hmm. It's not really a word. It's more of a, an exclamation, I guess. Huh. Because I'm kind of with you. I, I'm split down the middle, but I'm, I'm mostly with you where it was kind of a, a, disappointed, uh, a disappointment, I should say. Now, having said that, I don't know really quite what I was expecting, though, because mm. we're talking about unidentified aerial phenomena or unidentified flying objects. The operative word be there being unidentified. How much are we really actually going to be able to know about the unidentified nature of something that's unidentified because it's unidentified <laughs> so I, i'm not really sure how much we the could unidentifiable have. An, an unidentifiable fallacy exactly yeah. yeah so i'm not really sure how much we could have expected from this uh, but it is further confirmation I, I guess maybe something that was a little bit of a disappointment were, were more spe more specifics they did give a few kind of general um, criteria for some of the sightings, which I pointed out there, appeared to be advanced technology, not moving around in winds aloft. That's a big deal because winds aloft are very windy. It's very windy up up in, in, in the atmosphere. Um, that's interesting, but it, it wasn't really any specifics, no specific dates, nothing like that. So overall, it was a bit of a disappointment, but 
then again, I'm not really sure what we should have expected. As a burgeoning pilot, can you narrow down for our audience what these claims mean? Are they basically saying that these objects violate what we understand as the natural laws of aeronautics? Is that what they're basically saying? Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. I'm coming to you last, man, because you're going to pee on all our parades. So let's go to Tim next, because I don't know what he's going to say. Go ahead, Tim. So I had the same idea. My my reaction was, meh. And I, I take a look at this and I go, okay, if you would have told me there's 144 sightings, I could BS nine pages like this too. I mean, the section, it's like, this could pose a problem for, you know, air traffic. Yeah, no kidding. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all very common sense stuff. And whoever got paid the money to write this hunk of junk and how much money we threw into it, Totally wasn't worth it. I was more shocked by uh, when I believe it was the Area 51 documents from the Navy that came out like about a decade ago, a little bit over a decade ago. And they actually showed that we had experimented with flying saucers and they showed the schematics of a flying saucer that we had tried to, to play around with. That was more impressive to me than anything that came out in this. Like I said, I could have wrote this. Give me about a half hour or so. I could have given you a framework for this entire nine page document with no knowledge whatsoever. Well, I guess he just set the table for you there. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. So go ahead, Todd. Well, A, told you, uh, this is more of the same. Listen, that video you had us watch, Steve, which was well done and fascinating. I don't remember which one, but there were- It's the it's the, it's the the documentary with former Bush and, uh, yeah, there, and Obama there were like, uh, era officials. There were like yeah. small communities in New Zealand that swear they met the aliens in, the, in Atlanta. We, this has happened to us before. This is not suddenly we have all this new stuff that we've never had before. We've had versions of the old stuff. And this is- and we just talked about this a couple of months ago. Steve, you put out a poll. I mean, this is basically, I think, more of a likely than anything else if we apply Occam's razor. It's a, it's a psyop on us. We are being studied by our own government. And why should we not believe that based on everything else we talk about what our government is lying to us about on this show? So that's A, told you. B, I'm disappointed. I want to be wrong at this point because based on what our own people are doing to us, I'd like to hear the alien sales pitch at this point. <laughs> You're looking what for What do you got B? for me? Because the gay man's chorus says they're coming for my children. Do you have a better offer on the table? <laughs> Uh, anybody want to comment on that? I can't. Tim, do you want to comment on what Todd just said? Both involve anal probes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm wishing Aaron would have commented instead. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Note to self, don't go to the comedian last. Wrap this up for us, Tim. Yes. Anal probes. (laughs) Yes. Um, You're welcome. So, what was... Let's go to the exit question now and have a and have a conversation about it for a couple of minutes. So the exit question is is all this UFO momentum is it gone now or is something else going to emerge to get it going again? How would you answer that question? And if you think it's gone now, what what was the last year plus of this then in your opinion about? Okay? So Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Um, I don't think it's gone because I think the last year plus of this has been about something, something else. Now I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not diminishing necessarily the veracity of, of, of the proposition that extraterrestrial life or something along the lines of uh, technology that we've never seen, defying the laws of physics. Things I, I'm not dis- dismissing that. I just find it really odd that out of all, all of the sudden, alien sightings, like true alien sightings, 
Um, that's always been reserved to Cousin Eddie in the trailer park, who right. claims he got anally probed last yeah, night from yeah. visitors from Epsilon 14 or something like that. Yeah. It's always been revi- It's always been... It's always been kind now of sequestered in, inside of this really pigeonholed group of people. Now, the, the government is like, yeah, we don't know, uh, you know why. I find that very, very suspicious. So I don't know to what end, to what end th- this is going on. I, I just, after, especially after the last year and a half, I don't trust. I don't trust this whatsoever. <laughs> it could be, it could be that they're telling the truth. To the absolute truth that there are 144 sightings. We have no idea since what 2004. any of them are. Since 2004, I should say. Yep. We don't know what any of them are, um, and we're all on the up and up here. We're just letting you guys know. I doubt that. I doubt that. And That's just me, though. Okay. So, Tim, is the UFO momentum gone now? And if it is, then what was the last year plus of it about, do you think? Uh, it'll be around as long as Biden keeps screwing up. This is a distraction. This is all this is. That's why Obama came out to talk about it. You're telling me the president of the United States, former president of the United States, who knew about this stuff happening when he was president, couldn't come out then and say something, but he just so conveniently comes out now when there was a border crisis that uh, Joe Biden had lost complete control over. This is going to happen again because Biden is a complete screw up and this is cover for it. I actually have what I think is a, a fairly charming and innocent answer. The, the, it's always uh, the momentum's not gone. This is always going to be around because when things happen that are difficult to explain throughout all of human history, and I think there is a there there behind the experiment the government is conducting on us. But b- volcanoes erupting, stars how they're shifting, and ancient peoples. You know they tried to figure this thing out and they got it gloriously wrong oftentimes, but they tried. And I think this is, you know, there's people, there's a lot of people who are fascinated by the unknown and just trying to f- solve the riddle. And that's pretty charming and a noble human thing. So I don't think it's going anywhere. You look like, at you. Well, I, look at you. Look at you opening Mr. Santa Blue letters skies. from the North Pole there yeah. at the end. How about them apples? I don't, I'm not <laughs> without hope. Not totally. <laughs> Aaron, thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, do we? Are we just going to go right to issue four here? Yeah, let's go right. All right let's, so issue four is our kicker issue. Tim, we'll start with you. Um, and this, your response to the Branch Committee and cultist uh, this week, the Biden regime said this: it's going to, it may send cultist door to door to advocate for experimental COVID injections. I'm thinking this time we should go to you first. Um, how would you respond uh, when the Branch Covidian comes to your door for the jab? Do you, do you want me to point to my hat, or do you want me to point? To my arm. It's no, and it's no, and it's very easy. I, I don't get angry that often. I think I'd get furious at these people and probably start lecturing them on uh, what fascism is and where they are as brown shirts. I love the no and no. I like it. Todd. Yeah. There's so many good and acceptable answers to this. Like, I'm, I, Do I choose rage? Do I choose utter silence? Just standing there and letting them talk and indict themselves and then let them... I, and you, you've had, this is a Kobayashi for Maru for me. It is, I, it is, it's for me too, because it, it, it probably kind of depends on the day I'm having how I will, oh, how no, I will respond. Yes, 
Because exactly. I, I think because I'm I'm totally okay with with a menagerie of responses. Actually, you know, uh, inviting them in as I've done Jehovah's Witnesses at a time, and then just like you know, tearing them apart intellectually, uh, listening to them do their spiel, no, and then just close the door, uh, just completely ignoring them and moving around while they're talking and acting like they're not there. I mean, on any particular, depending on what's going on with me that day, I could take either I could take any of those reactions. Frankly. I ask them just answer me one question: Are you coming for my children? Make them answer yes or no. Are you coming for my children? Other than that, we have nothing to talk about. Aaron, to me, what, this is un- what if it's. Go ahead, Tim. What if it's thirty? What's the entire gay men's course, and they come and sing, "They're coming for your children." <laughs> <laughs> if the gay men's chorus comes to my house and talk uh, singing about jabs, that that could that conversation can be in a totally different Lindsey Graham ass <laughs> context. Aaron, go ahead. Yeah, to me, I don't think there's any question. I would, I would berate them with with a, a, a long diatribe of things that I can't say on the air right now, and I would probably drive them away from my doorstep with a whip if I had one. I've always wanted to do that, and I think this sounds like a pretty good opportunity to do so. Listen, guys, just quickly, it's it's one thing if you're going to a business, you're going uh, pro- proactively going to a business. Somebody who's making nine bucks an hour, uh, politely or impolitely, tells you to put a mask on. Okay, it's I can understand having a little bit of compassion to that. Mm-hmm. When you're coming to my doorstep, no, it, no, I, I, I would have a hard time. Operation not Tar and Feather physically has been has been you. enacted. Yes, over at the McIntyre household, I'm down. I'm down to clown. All right, let's get to predictions. Aaron, go ahead. So I believe uh, within the next um, six weeks. I think we're going to see an entire American city attempted to be shut down or locked down again. I made a prediction not too long ago that we would see the mask mandate upped in certain locales. That in certain locales has proven to be true. I think the next step is going to be lockdown. So I think uh, either Los Angeles, New York, or I believe Washington State or Michigan will uh, lock down again because of the Delta scariant or the Lambda scariant. I don't. I think your prediction will prove true. I'll be very surprised if it's Michigan. See, that's the one that I'm least certain. Because Gretchen Whitmer clearly has been listening to her pollster mm-hmm. here for the last uh, couple of months. Todd, you see with CRT, they're actually with a straight face saying, "No, that's that's this is really a Republican uh, thing." Th- th- there's teacher strikes coming. They are trying to flip the script and call themselves the victims of what they've done to America the whole year. There's large-scale teacher strikes coming. I would love to see teachers strike over the CRT that their teacher-favorable media, teacher-union-favorable media says doesn't exist. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's killing independent George. I would love to see those worlds collide. Mm-hmm. I'd love to love it. Tim, go ahead. Your prediction. Uh, I think we're going to see more blue hairs and liberals come out against CRT. And I, I, hey, I, I'd love to tell you, I already know that they are coming out against it. So it's very exciting to see people who think that they are regularly liberal looking at this and going, wait a second, that's actually racist. Uh, it's pe- more and more people are waking up and I think we're going to see new allies that we never thought we'd see. I, 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 we saw some of this with COVID. And so I think we may see more and more. We saw, and, and going back a few years, we saw some of this with Common Core, for example. We saw we saw more of it with COVID, and it's something we've talked about on our show as well. So I think you're right on with that, Tim. My prediction is that Black Widow is going to have the worst opening for a Marvel film since Ant Man and the Wasp. One of the first, one of the four worst weekend box office openings for a Marvel film ever. I just think the delay in its release. 
that it doesn't it, it's not purported it's a prequel it's, it's not purported to do anything to advance the overall MCU narrative and we already have shows that have kind of eclipsed it in that regard it's about a character whose story arc is completed and, and she's dead and then you still have some COVID resistance with attending movies in the theater I think it'll have a monster opening for this year but not by MCU standards Tim great to see you as always man thanks for joining us take care alright thanks for having me you bet we'll come back it'll be feedback Friday when we do stay tuned We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Aaron McIntyre, Todd Erzin, and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email the show, Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. You can also look for us on MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Dace Show and get uncensored, unfiltered free clips of the program at Rumble.com slash Show. If you're a podcast listener, uh, thank you. We're looking for you now to please uh, hit subscribe or follow, whichever the case may be on your podcast platform of preference. Uh, Leave us a five-star review as well. Uh, Those are things that help the show to grow, make us more algorithm-friendly, and we want to thank the thousands of you that have done those two things for us already. Thanks to each and every one of you. Uh, we've had a lot of cool, a lot, what I think a lot of cool, uh, you know, sponsors and partners here on the show, but this is one that got my son's attention, uh, is when he found out that, uh, we were, we were bringing Raycon on as a partner. Apparently that's in teenage world where he lives now. That's a earbud with some status. So he asks to use mine all the time because whether it's work or play, a lot of us, you're on the run, you're on the move, uh, especially this time of year with the summer. Uh, Take your Raycons with you. Uh, You get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands. They look great, feel even better. They come in a range of cool colors, customizable gel tips that are included for a comfortable in-ear fit. You won't have to make the constant adjustment with these buds all the time. They fit as snugly as any pair I've ever tried. Uh, And so they are built to go anywhere you want to go with quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case. So right now, Raycon offering 15% off all their products to our listeners and viewers here on the Steve Day Show. Just go to buyraycon, that's C-O-N as in Nancy, buyraycon.com slash Steve, buyraycon.com slash Steve. Get 15% off anything in the store at buyraycon.com slash Steve. All right, let's get to some feedback Friday. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done this because we had our 4th of July show last week. You guys ready to go? Yep. Always. Let's begin with Joseph who says, I had an incident recently that illustrates how easy defiance can actually be. Um, uh, Recently, we had the New York City primary where I am a resident. I've already gotten on the subway. I'd already gotten on the subway and even the railroad without a mask. But I was wondering what would happen when going to exercise my constitutional right to vote. That's where worlds collide. Everything, every, not everyone eligible to vote. Everything must vote. Every illegal alien, every inanimate object, every dead person, everything must vote. Right. So he goes, I was wondering what would happen when I tried to go and exercise my universal right to vote without a mask. I decided to just walk in, my wife and I did, who was also unmasked, just to see what would happen. After a few seconds, someone came over to me me and said, do you need a mask? I said, no. And I proceeded over to the signature table. She came to me again 
was her name Karen? <laughs> uh, she came to me again and said that everyone else was masked. To which I asked whether this was an official law or just a suggestion and whether I would be thrown out. She did not really have an answer for that one, but tried to pull the respect everyone else card. I said that as long as it's optional, I would opt out and continued signing my name to get my ballot. The funniest part to me was that um, they still haven't finished counting the ballots in New York City. I'm sorry, that's actually not in your email. Uh, The funniest part to me was when I noticed that I was not the only unmasked person in the room, aside from my wife, but the cop who was stationed in the room for security was also barefaced. So when the mask monitor went over to him, I was not really worried. Besides the mask monitor, everyone else in the room interacted with us as if nothing were unusual. I wonder how many people would just drop the masquerade if they saw how easy it was. See, brother, brother Joseph, it is easy, but it isn't simple. For for too many people, the approval of other people matters too much. I don't want to sit here and claim I don't care about people approval at all. I am a broadcaster. I have to attract an audience. I have to then show I can drive that audience to consume products so that advertisers will pay me to do this show as part of the way I get compensated. Can I can I be successful at that and not care whatsoever about what people approval is? You cannot. No, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be some faux badass, you know, about this. But is because of course we care. But is it a primary driver of what we do? Should not be. It is not. It's part of the calculus. You know, I, I, even if I didn't do this for a living, I have to love my. I'm commanded to love my na- neighbor as I love myself by my Lord. Right? Yes. Is it hard to do that without having any knowledge or interest whatsoever in what other people like? It's very hard. It's very difficult. Yeah, maybe impossible. Okay, but. It's not a primary driver. It's a factor, but it's not a primary driver. And if the approval for other people runs contrary to my primary drivers, I will at least try at first to be somewhat respectful in why I won't follow them as a crowd. That usually doesn't work, and then then we just have to be disrespectful about it, okay? But um, that's why it's easy. It's always been this easy. Joseph, if you're listening today and anybody else, it's always been this easy. For a year, we said on the show, this wasn't going to end until we made it end, right? Yes. It's always been this easy. Like on planes, that's one of the last places left with the masquerade. It's this simple is what I think you're trying to say. Simple, not necessarily easy. Isn't that the point you're trying to make? Do I have it backwards? Is that what you're saying? Well, it it, it is simple. There aren't a hundred steps to it. It is simple, but... To, to gather the. If you f- wanted to turn it around, I'm fine with that bad- too. I just played off the word order yeah. that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but but, but in general, it's it is as, as simple as just I dare you to to do something yes. about this. If 20 people in different sections that weren't all related didn't even know each other, just four different groups of families that did know each other yeah. all made the decision. We're all taking off. Are are, are they gonna? Yeah, yeah. Gonna pull them off the plane? No, they're not. That's why it's always like one person or one family. They're, they're not going to do that with 20 people, guys. And it's always been as simple as there's been strengths in numbers. All we had to do was just call the bluff. That what, what's Why it's not easy is how much people rely mm-hmm. on the approval of other people to get their own self-worth. 
Huge missed opportunity here, though. When asked, you should have simply said, listen, ma'am, I identify as a Dropbox ballot brought in in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., and I'm told I must be counted. No <laughs> questions asked. I like that. Somebody sent me a note yesterday that says, you guys at the Blaze need to be selling I identify as vaccinated T-shirts. And I sent that over to one of our mucky mucks here, and I'm like, we should absolutely be ha- have these in the store. For sure we should. Uh, This next note comes from a Michelle. She says, my husband and I are dairy farmers. Before we had ever heard of Dr. Fauci, social distancing and stay-at-home orders, we often talked about herd immunity as farmers. Over the past 25 years, we've had at least three viruses go through our herd. Veterinarians from world-class colleges told us we needed to reach herd immunity, and when we did, we would no longer need to worry about these viruses in our herds. Um, through year, through years, I sent, or through tears, I sent one of my favorite cows to the sale yard because she tested positive for my, my, mycoplasma. I think is what that says. My husband kept repeating, we'll get her, we will get to herd immunity soon. So why is my year of shame over? I'm ashamed I did not ask any more questions for the past year about herd immunity. I'm ashamed I didn't ask more questions about why we were locking down schools, why big box stores were open, but my local small businesses were forced to close. Uh, I did not, I'm ashamed I did not speak up louder at Zoom school board meetings. I tried once and was told the open forum wasn't really for questions. So what does an open forum exactly mean? I'm ashamed I allowed family to disrespect our choice not to vaccinate. I'm ashamed my family was convinced that masks and vaccines were the only way to survive COVID. I hope my three kids are okay with my husband and how my husband and I tried to handle the last year. We absolutely 100% disagree with how our state handled and continues to handle the quote, quote unquote COVID crisis. We're done. No more masks, social distancing. It's time to start living again. We took our daughter on a 3,000 mile spring break road trip. And I'm proud we held a huge high school graduation party for that daughter with no masks. And we stood up to the family that continued to criticize our decision not to vaccinate. My mother-in-law refused to hug my son as we celebrated his 17th birthday because we are not vaccinated. Thank you for continuing to expose all the misinformation about what's going on. I live in a state that's unwilling to hear the information you share every day. So if we did not have you and people like you at The Blaze, it would be almost impossible to find information that supports our beliefs that we do not need masks or vaccines. Thank you for all you do for Americans that want to live our lives again. No masks, no experimental injections, no Chinese face diapers. And that's from Michelle. Any thoughts? Uh, May you be a legion. I agree. That's, That's the simple attitude. That's basically... Um, what should be the thesis and what should have been the thesis all along of, of getting out of uh, getting out of this and, and pushing back against this, the pseudoscience that's sorely lacking. So I would just repeat what Todd said. We need more. We need a lot more, even more than that. We need more. Just remember, I said it, I think last week, the American Revolution was fought over far less yep. than what we have endured. Far less. We got on that boat and we threw that tea into the harbor. And it, hell knows all over the place. Th- that's the fundamental problem with what you're dealing with. And getting back to normal life, again, I'll say it until the day I die. Don't do it. Normal is what got us here. All right? Progressivism is cancer, and that was our normal 
throughout the board. We need something far better. We need to go back to the past. Aaron writes, first, I want to let you guys know how I found you. My friends and I had an election night watch party. We were flipping channels because we were so mad at Fox. We landed on Blaze TV, and you guys were the only ones saying what we were all thinking. Something about this isn't right. I then found you guys' podcast and have been hooked ever since. Also bought the book Fauci and Bargain and loved it. So to my dilemma, when I tell you that everyone except three people I know have had the vaccine, I mean everyone. That includes my husband, my two sons, 22 and 25, all four of my sisters, the parents are deceased, every single one of my friends except three. My 25-year-old son's wife was the nurse that administered the first jab in our city. It was a huge deal. She was on the news and in the paper. I told them I wasn't ready to do a test drive on an experimental vaccine. Everyone, except my sisters, are of course huge libs, have been pretty cool with my decision until now. My pregnant daughter-in-law, the nurse, sent me a text wanting me to reconsider getting the jab. She sent a Facebook post of a baby in the hospital being treated for COVID. She wanted me to know that the new variant is horrible and is affecting younger adults and kids. I told her thanks for the information. The next text said, I really want you to consider for Ellen, their nine-month-old, and the new baby. I want you to reconsider for Ellen and, and, and the new baby. I sent her a thumbs up. First, do you have any information on this new variant with which they are trying to scare us? Also, do I lie to her and say I may get it? I'm afraid she won't let me be around the grandbabies. So, let me start with the last question first. Because they're already, by the, when you sent me this note, Aaron, and first of all, thank you so much for finding us in the kind words, Okay. But I want to make sure you don't buy into a flawed premise here. When you sent this to us, this is when the Delta variant, this is when the Delta variant panic porn was just kicking in. Notice it's all but gone now. Something like 58% of the new cases in the U.S. are being identified as the Delta variant. Yesterday, we had about 250 total deaths with COVID in America in a country of 330 million. We have not had, we have not eclipsed over a thousand daily deaths in America with COVID since mid-April, almost three months. What does that have to do with the, with the question that you asked about this variant? Everything. At the time that variant was raging at the highest, we actually saw a massive precipitous decline in deaths. And that's despite the fact that we have capped out at about 50% of the population vaccinated. Which means a couple of things. Number one, it means that we've hit clearly a herd immunity threshold with the natural immunity out there, people like me, who have already been infected and therefore have immunity to the virus, uh, combined with the vaccination effort. Number two, here's what it also means. The more a virus mutates, why is it? Why does a virus typically mutate? There's several reasons, but we're not a virology class, so let me just use the most common layman one. The number a virus ultimately is a survival mechanism, a survival organism. Its main goal is to survive. That's really its only instinct: survival. So when a virus mutates, typically it's because it mutates as a form of weakening itself 
in order to try and ensure its survival, meaning it's negotiating with the ecosystem it's in. This is one of the reasons why, for example, other forms of coronaviruses are now identified as common colds. They mutated in order to figure out where they could, in order to establish a place where they could survive. That's all a virus is, is a survival mechanism. That's the only instinct it has. So that's why with, you were, you were told about the Indian variant, remember that? We didn't see a massive influx with that. The UK has a massive report out today about the Delta variant in its country. You can't be more paranoid about this than Boris Johnson has been for the last year and a half. Is that fair? Or at least he's on the, you can't, you can maybe be as paranoid as Boris. Could you be worse than him? No. No. And even even though it's raging in their country, they are moving forward with plans to reopen the UK on July the 19th because their current, their current case fatality ratio data is 0.2. The current case fatality ratio, meaning a documented case with a Delta variant strain with a positive test confirmed by a PCR molecular lab, that creates a case. And the odds that you'll die with that Delta variant in the UK right now are 0.2, which means 99.98 odds you will not. Right? Did I, did I do that right? 99.8. 99.8, thank you. So... As you were writing this to us, sister, the Delta variant was in all the news, but all the data is showing what science has always shown in the past. Viral mutations, particularly with new outbreaks, tend to be a weakening process of that strain. And ensuing weaknesses and ensuing strains do the same thing. Now, and we have been people from the very beginning that have doubted the origins of this virus, we are open Speaking for myself, I am open to the fact that it is an entirely engineered phenomenon and therefore could somehow skirt what we know about natural precedent. I'm open to that fact. However, has that been confirmed to us? No. No. And do we have real-time data now that has shown over the course of several months how this particular strain behaves? Yes. Yes. I just cited it, right? Yes. And so... Even if this is a fully engineered, modified organism and not a natural occurring virus in the wild, well, we have enough real-time data now, months of its behavior to know this is not a vicious strain. I don't know what source your nurse daughter-in-law was citing about children and young people. It's just simply none of that's true. None of it is. It's not true anywhere. I don't have any information. I mean, I could show you. There's a UK study that just came out again yesterday. They looked at 400,000 school-aged children in the country. Pretty good sample size. That's a fairly good sample size. What was it in the dozens of kids that died out of 400,000 or something? Mm-hmm. Like 23 or something. And again, the UK has been far more paranoid about this than us and continues to be. There is no data. That's just your nurse daughter-in-law watched some scam report on the news and just took it as such. But I want to address the last part of your note here because I'm getting this. There's two things I'm getting a lot right now. 
do you have, can you help me find legal representation to defend my rights against COVID, Stan? That's number one by a bullet, man. I mean, I'm getting that email constantly. I should start um, law uh, lawfirmsyoutrust.com, you okay? <laughs> um, Glenn's already got real estate agents I trust, okay? The problem is we wouldn't have any to put in there, like three in the whole damn country, okay? So um, the other one is is something along these lines. I, my They won't let me see my nephew. My son won't let me come over. What I'm about to say is going to sound harsh. And I'm sorry. It's not, it's not a rebuke for me. It's an observation in the t- about the times in which we live. And on shows like this and on platforms like here at The Blaze, man, we're doing everything we can to, to change this atmosphere in the culture. But I I think some of us, and maybe all of us, are going to have to come to the decision that of what matters more. And I'm not here to judge one way or the other. It's a difficult call. Because it's not about this vaccine. It's the principle here. What your loved ones are showing you is how easily they can be groomed and prepped by the spirit of the age. And if it's not if it's not COVID vaccines, it'll just be something else later on. How they can deny data. The same media that told you last year that Japan was defeating COVID with masks is now panicked that they're going to go forward with the Olympics in Japan, even without fans in the stands, because they're under a COVID state of emergency. How do you reconcile those two things, guys? Can't. You can't. You can't. They're not reconcilable. They're either, they're either intentional deceptions or you've just lost your damn mind. One of the two. And it probably varies depending on which outlet and person we're talking about. I, I think we have to come to grips with the fact that we live in a post-Christian age in America. We live in a post-truth age, a post-critical thinking age. In the past, you received some form of privilege or benefit of the doubt for being in these in these camps in the country. Fair? Yeah. That's the opposite exists now. The spirit of the age is in control now. And you will be, you'll be given not only no privilege or benefit of the doubt, you'll either be treated with suspicion or marked, and I'm using that term on purpose, or marked for holding on to those three things. Instead of Christianity, it's paganism or unbelief. Instead of critical thinking, it's conformity. And instead of the truth, it's validation. That fair? Oh yeah. Yep. That's what that's what rages today. And all of us are going to have to decide here. 
at what point, because it's not as simple as I'm just drawing the line on everything. Because this is going to happen on sporting events to watch, movies to see. It's not just, what's going on with these vaccines is a proto version of what's going to happen and is happening comprehensively across the culture. We're all going to have to pick what's the moment I put my foot down and say, I, I don't care what the cost is. If I can't see my grandkids, if you never come home for Thanksgiving again, whatever it is, I can't, my conscience, I can't do this. It's so, it's such a lie. I can't do it. Or it's such a danger. It's a, such a, a dangerous lie to inhabit or to entertain. I can't go along with it. It endangers me to do so. Either my soul or my, or my person. We're all going to have maybe a different place we might draw that line. Fair? Yeah. But you all better be prepared to at some point know when you will have to draw that line. And it will be your loved ones that will do it. This is nothing new. Look at the history of, your, of, of the Christian faith. I've told you before that at the beginning, it was really, and for several decades, a, just a primarily Jewish argument. Is, is Yeshua of Nazareth Messiah or not? That was really the whole argument. There were a lot of people that were going to the same temple, going to this, celebrating the same Sabbath, the same cedars, the same festivals with the same heritage that were on dramatically different lines where that was concerned. And can you imagine if you were the outlier one on one side of the other, the pressure you would have to conform with that, right? Now that was at least over a righteous debate. That was at least beginning from the premise of, is this the is this the one Jehovah had is he the one that Jehovah had promised? And that was very divisive and that was <laughs> there are repercussions for that we are paying for thousands of years later. Now imagine the same pressure points applied from a completely unrighteous premise. There's no good in any of this. There's no there's no Gamaliel in the book of Acts you know the great the, the great rabbi who says you know what I don't know if Yeshua is, is, is Messiah or not but stop persecuting these men because if they really are of God we won't be able to stop it anyway Have, in other words make room somewhere for some matter of conscience where people can agree to disagree or work out their salvations in fear and trembling the spirit of the age is not going to provide any Gamaliels guys there will be none there will be no conscience clauses, ask Baron L. Stuntsman. Comply or die. That's, that's, that's what it'll be. So if Jewish families, Jewish clans, Jewish tribes, with a millennia of tradition and legacy uniting them, if the question of who is Yeshua could divide them with all they had in common leading up to that debate, imagine what the spirit of the age will do to our families and our communities and our clans with none of that kind of shared legacy. None of that millennia of shared identity 
built into the calculus at all. Everyone in this audience, myself included, all better be prepared for what Aaron is talking about. And eventually you'll have to make the decision. Is it, and Aaron, your decision really comes down to this. Is it worth risking potentially your life to get a vaccine to be a positive influence in those kids' lives? Or is it of such a danger to you that taking it greatly reduces the opportunity you'd have either way to be an influence in their lives? Is that fair? Yeah. I think those are the sorts of discernments and calculuses. We're going to have to work these things out. Because this isn't going to go away. This isn't uniquely about the COVID vaccines. In fact, it's not about the COVID vaccines at all. They're the manifestation of what it's really about. Choose ye this day whom you will serve. That's really what it's about. The dark doesn't want to walk arm in arm with the light either. It's just been lying to you all this time. And now that it has hegemony, now we're going to start telling you the truth. Comply or die. So I don't have an answer for you on that last one or anybody else. We're all going to have to, we're all going to have to make that decision. This isn't like some book of revelation, Mark of the beast level event, but it is kind of a grooming for something, how something like that could eventually take place. Right? So use this like, you know, spring practice, preseason football, a trial run. Where am I going to draw the line? Cause all of us somewhere along the line, are going to have to. You know, Rough Greens is one of our most loyal partners here on the show. It's something we use in our house as we do a lot of the products that we talk about, but well, we don't use it. Our dog does. And Cap absolutely loves this stuff. It's the supplement that your pet needs uh, because a lot of your dog's food is stripped of all the good stuff at the store before it gets to the store, I should say, uh, just as all of our foods uh, typically are. That's why we're using so many supplements nowadays. Same thing happens with your pet. And that's where Rough Greens comes in. All those vitamins, minerals, nutrients, omega oils, antioxidants, et cetera, pre-probiotics that are missing probably from your pet's kibbles and bits uh, gets put back in your pet's food. You mix the powder in and voila. And apparently, if your name is Cap, which is the name of our dog, you end up loving your dog food even more when, uh, with the, when the Rough Greens is put in it. But you may be wondering, hey, how do I know my dog has the same taste as your dog does, Dace? Well, one way we could find out, how about we just give you the first bag for free? You just pay for the shipping. It's like a couple bucks. Uh, but uh, the first bag from Rough Greens, that 14-day jumpstart bag to see. If you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less, uh, that's on the house. If you go to roughgreens.com, R-U-F-F, for roughgreens.com, or give them a call at 833-ROUGH-DOG, same spelling, R-U-F-F, 833-ROUGH-DOG. All right, Todd, you wanted to say something about that last note before we moved on. There's no way I'm going to make this decision simple for you. Uh, but I, one thing needs to be said, and it might be looming over you, and it's just simply a matter of data and science, and you need to at least take this thing out of the way. Whether you get vaccinated or not, that new grandbaby of yours is far more likely to get COVID from the vaccinated nurse that is that child's mother than you. 
That's data and science talking. We know that based on where we know kids got uh, it from before. We know the fact that you can, people are still getting uh, COVID even though they're vaccinated. That, mo- that mother is a nurse who will live around six people with tons of comorbidities. I don't know what you're doing, but I guess you're doing something that's less likely to attract COVID than that. that you need to remove that from yourself before you make this decision, if that's hovering over you. You're, because the, I, a grandmother's g- potential guilt, you should not have any about making that baby sick. The mother bringing that child into the womb is far more likely to give that child COVID, and that child is very likely to be fine no matter what. But this this is the level of utter BS that is eating away at this culture, and the people who should be loving you and are dumping this in your lap should be ashamed of themselves. There's another part of this that I just want to emphasize as well. When, when Steve talks about the principle of the matter when it comes to this vaccine, let's say, let's say that it is just the, the, the regular run-of-the-mill, um, just the, the, the regular rate of vaccine adverse reactions with, with these vaccines. Let's, let's just lay that out there, or even fewer. If, if the messaging publicly, privately, in this instance, had been the same as something like this. This is an experimental vaccine. This really went faster. This thing really got out of control. This virus really got out of control faster. It did things we didn't really quite understand. It's new. It's novel. Something along the lines of that. We've got this vaccine. It may or may not work as a vaccine. It may work as a therapeutic Um, it's got an emergency use authorization. There's no pressure to use it, but it's available for you. We think it might help you if you choose to get it, but it's totally up to you. It would not be about the principle of the thing. If that was the true attitude, we would not be having this conversation right now, but it was not. It was from day one, what Fauci said in that clip, what's wrong with you? Get over yourself. Don't make this a political thing. What's wrong? Get, Get over it. That was the messaging from day one. And now we're on gaslighting of day, whatever yes. it is now. Yes. That was the real messaging. Amen, and so now brother. it is about the principle of the matter. Yes. So I just want to underscore that. That's a very important part of this. That'll preach right there. That, I mean, that, listen, the UK hit 85% of its population with at least a single dose of vaccine on June 3rd. Since June 3rd, because of the Delta variant, cases have gone up in the country over 600%. And yet they're still going to reopen next week or a week and a half. But it's the same thing. Forget forget all the data and science on masks until we tell you to wear them. Now suddenly, new dot, new data, new science, and get over yourself. Do, it, do what the hell we told you to do. Mm-hmm. It's been this way on everything. Yes. Which is why it's not about the vaccines. It's about something else. They're just a manifestation of what it's really about. I'm going to withhold uh, this woman's name on this one, and you'll see why when I share the note with you. I'm a 20-year-old female college student. When I was in my late teens, I struggled with addiction to pornography. I'm proud that I've overcome it, but I've not yet shared this with anyone. I probably should, but I have not found someone I trust that I think would not look at me or treat me differently if I told them. I have never been in a real relationship, but I have been asked out a few times. I'm a Christian. I believe in, in, uh, in dating for marriage, so I've been waiting for someone that I thought could at least be a prospect along those lines to come along. All the guys who have asked me out so far have not been guys I'd even considered marrying, and the few times I pursued a guy, they ended up with someone else. 
I don't feel my past affection or addiction affects the way I see guys or sex, but at times it makes me feel ashamed and unworthy of a good relationship. So sometimes I feel like I deserve to not get the guy I want. Do you have any advice for my situation? And if I ever find a guy, do I need to share my past struggles with him? And if so, at what point in the relationship? Who wants to tackle this one first? Or do you want me to? Well, since I'm the closest one removed from dating, um, I'll just tell you my approach to this. Um, I, I think in just, I'm not trying to whitewash diminish anything about that if you are a man in this culture with functioning eyeballs and a functioning uh nether region and you don't i'm not saying struggle but you don't fight to control your eyes and your mind um i don't believe you i I don't believe you it's the same for me as well it has been the same for me it's been to varying degrees in the past. And um, I believe that a marriage relationship uh, should be one of, not, not one of, the closest human relationship in your life that you will ever have in your life. That means talking about your testimony, your past, who, what, uh, what and who shaped who you are today. You don't have to go into graphic detail, obviously, but I did make the choice. I did make the choice to tell Bella some of the struggles with it, not just with the eyes, but other struggles that I've had in my life uh, when it was apparent that we were heading down the road to marriage. Now, that you have to kind of judge that for yourself. I would not say that's probably a second or third date conversation, but when you both have indicated to each other that you're interested in the other person for the purpose of marriage down the road, potentially not committing to it yet, but you are interested in that for that purpose, I would say that's a good, uh, the, a good opportunity to, um, to have those conversations. I will also say, uh, I, this is my personal, and I think this is different for, for guys as well, when I talked to her dad about asking for her hand in marriage, I had those same conversations as well. Didn't know him nearly as well as I knew Bella at that point. Um, and so that's a, a conversation that you can have as well, just so you, and again, I would say that's more for the men necessarily, but uh, if you want to think about how that looks like for you, you can. Uh, but I, I think those are conversations. You don't have to go into gory details, specific, gory details, that's not really a good way to put it, but you don't have to go into painful specifics, but there should be an understanding there, in my opinion. I'll just say this. You are putting, uh, this is very common, but you are putting, in my estimation, a far too unique sort of weight to your Correct. own personal trials and yeah, sin. I was going to say something along the these men lines. on the this is a woman we're talking mm-hmm. about, but the men on the other side of the equation, if not this one, and it may be something that you consider pedestrian, and yours is far worse, but it may own them far more, in some way, shape, or form. You deal, and this is the the, the this is a uh, in Catholic circles uh, inscrutability. The notion that you, you you keep going back to confession to confess the same thing over and over and over again, not not necessarily because you're doing it, because you just can't let go of whatever the guilt is. Well, if God can save you from that, you're you you fashioned an idol out of your own sin. Yes, you need to not be putting undue weight on this sin. On its it, now, 
I don't know the level of control it currently has in your life. That doesn't seem to be your question. It's about the guilt over your past. Everybody's got a past. Everybody needs to feel guilty about that to some level in the eyes of their God. But then mm-hmm. God saves us from that. So you need to let yourself move on. My own personal theological opinion, that's what I'm about to give, that I think, you know, we in a political sense, I've mentioned over the years, I prefer the arguments I have with my libertarian friends over the ones we have with our leftist opponents, right? And because ultimately with my libertarian friends, I'm arguing from a premise that I agree with. What What's the limits of government's authority and reach and influence in our lives, right? That's, I want to have that argument all day long. Yeah. The argument I have on the other side is what, how much individual freedom and autonomy do I get to have? All right. I don't like that argument as much, right? Let's apply some of this, this methodology theologically. I think we are in a better position in terms of understanding the mercy, grace, and love of our Lord when we are flirting and struggling with antinomianism than we are shame-based or um, uh, legalism. Meaning, when we, when, we think, when we think we're too free as opposed to not free enough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Antinomianism is a fancy theological term for because I'm saved, I can live the way I want. Okay? That's a false teaching, obviously, because you were bought at a high price. You were purchased for a reason. Okay? But, in my opinion, I think, I think as, a, as believers we are closer to the heart of God when we're wrestling with antinomianism more than we are with what you just described. The idea that I can, I can just tell you this, here's the one thing you said in your note. I can say for certain. The voice telling you you're unworthy of a good relationship is not from above. That's from below. Mm-hmm. I can promise you that. Yep. Okay. Now, then we get into areas where I'm pretty honest about do when, when there's a reason the books are called every man's battle. I'm fighting. I fight this battle every morning at the gym. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it's so, and I, and by the way, Fred Stoker wrote those books. Good buddy of mine. So I'm familiar quite with the plight. I've lived it. I'm living it now. I've got a teenage son. Okay. So, um, but the one thing I can say without any gray area or what's have you, It says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus picked up the cross, scorning, despising the shame. What did that mean? Well, in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve, after they commit the, before they commit the first sin, what does it say about them? They were naked in the garden. They had no what? Shame. They had no shame because they were in perfect communion with God. Shame came into the world because they broke that communion, correct? Correct. Yes. Jesus came to conquer that shame, to reinstall that communion, reconnect that connection. I promise you this. The rest of this, I agree with what Aaron said. I thought was very poignant. I think that's something you're going to have to navigate on your own. Uh, when that, when the time comes, how far to go? Um, frankly, 
another man might actually find that a very attractive quality. Wow, she's got the same vice, same struggles I do. I'll, I'll get mercy in this area. I'll provide it for her. And, you know, there's maybe maybe some ways in our marriage that we can use that to our advantage, if you know what I'm saying, okay, to keep that off, keep that on the back burner, right? You, you hear me, hear yeah. me knocking? You think yeah. I'm coming in? Okay. Yeah. But the one thing I want to say for sure is this. The voice telling you, sister, you are not worthy of a good relationship, that you should still feel ashamed. I promise you this, that is not from above, that is from down below. Throw that voice, send it back to the bowels and pit of hell where it belongs, because that's that's where it came from. Because it's fundamentally an accusation. Yes. You think you're making against yourself. Who is, what's another word for Satan, for Lucifer? The accuser. Mm-hmm. You know who is unworthy? The folks that don't even bother with the self-reflection and the self-awareness and the self-assessment that you're talking with. The fact that you are exercising that level of self-awareness and self-assessment indicates that um, you recognize that you have been freed from this. And that, that actually is what causes some of the confusion because... I don't deserve to be freed from it. No, you don't. That's why it's called grace. Well, I still, I was freed from it, yet I still struggle with it. That's what Paul writes about in Romans 7, okay? That's why I think in general, we, have, we are closer to God's heart when we struggle more with antinomianism than with shame-based systems or legalisms. Because ultimately, the latter begins from a premise that I'm not truly free even after I've been freed, until I live up to some other behavioral standard for which Jesus died for me for violating for, before yeah. I even knew what that standard was or even agreed to, to surrender to it. Is there anything about your faith, whether you're Catholic or not, but are you supposed to feel more guilty or less after coming out of the confessional? <laughs> less. Yes. Less. Yes. You are free. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, we got about a minute here. I don't have time for another one. Any uh, final thoughts? I, my mind, by the way, has been racing all show with what Tim said last hour about how basically this strain of leftism was always there, but it was kind of in the ghettos of the Democratic Party, and they knew better than to let it out, but then the internet let it all out, and now it's the inmates are running the asylum. I thought that was just, the math he did on that just blew my mind, frankly. We had that conversation a while ago. There used to be red light districts. We understood that they would exist because there's no nothing perfect this side of Eden. But now everything is the red light district. Yeah. It's, it's very, yes. very much, um, very much a Tower of Babel type of, type of thing. Whereas... Well, the the threat then, as I understand it, or tradition has it, is that the, the the world would be unified necessarily. I guess that's the same type of thing, just only for the underworld. If you catch my my drift, <laughs> I mean, the Twitter it's, itself is a tower of Babel. It's just only uh, benefiting necessarily uh, one side of the equation. But that's the same argument that. You know, generally about the internet that uh, Ziggy Stardust made back in 1999, and I find fascinating how prophetic that was, and I don't know why I keep forgetting about it. It's such a, a poignant point. Dude, you had the Ziggy Stardust poll. That isn't that's that a David, quality. Yeah, that's that a David quality Bowie? poll by you, man. 
Well done there. Well, thank you. Appreciate well it. done. He's grown up from year the cat. Yeah, indeed. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.